And for the rest of us, we can take our Bibles and we can turn together to the book of Matthew, going back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. You know, when I was with the airlines many years ago, uh, I found myself having frequent trips going down to New Orleans. And I actually enjoyed New Orleans very much. Talk about some awesome food. And when I had a layover down there, they would put us in Jackson Square and we would just walk around. And, well, that's an interesting place to walk around. You see a whole interesting lot of people in those areas. And I remember going around and you'd see those guys are dressed up. They look like a statue and they'd be real still until someone would come up on them and then they'd move and scare them. And other folks would charge you, you know, a little bit of money and you'd go and they'd draw some sort of caricature of you in a funny way, some, something you could take home. But then there were these other folks who liked to try to tell you your fortune. And so the fortune tellers would just all be lined up down there, ready to just tell somebody what it is they needed to know about their future. And I always thought, isn't it interesting that if you have the ability to tell the future, why are you going to do it for 15 bucks with individuals when you can just go to the stock market, know what's going to happen, invest your millions, and become extremely wealthy over the next few years by just playing the odds, because they wouldn't be odds. They would be a known thing to you if you could, in fact, tell the future. There is a type of a power in knowing the future, isn't there? And yet it's something no one here can possess of their own, uh, in and of themselves. God, of course, does know. But if you could know the future, if you could know it in great detail, my goodness, what kinds of things could you do? And what kinds of things could you be in control of? Situations, money-making opportunities that come your way. Or at a minimum, you wouldn't be afraid. Because you would know what's coming. The uncertainty would remove. You know, with this new year coming upon us, I challenged us all, starting last week, to let's, let's begin our renewal effort by looking ahead, keeping in mind the ends, to help, determine, help us determine what steps we're going to take to get there. When you know the end, if you can know the future, don't you think that would alter how you lived today? And if we would be a people who would live with the end in mind, it would affect very much how and what we did today and the way that we would live. And so today, this is what I'm going to do with you. I'm going to go into the future with you, all right? And I'm not going to have a crystal ball. I don't need it. I don't need tarot cards. I don't even need a DeLorean to get us back to the future. Instead, we have a revelation from God, and he's spoken to us, and he's spoken to us clearly. Now, Jesus wanted his disciples to have a knowledge of the future and what it is that would be going on to make them realize history is actually going to a point. It's going to a predetermined point. And because of that, he wanted his people, his followers, to align their lives with that direction. So his call is to place your trust in him, believe what he says, and then move in the direction that he is aligning his people and his church towards. And while you're doing it, you don't have to be afraid. Are we still uncertain? Everybody say, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do we still get a little scared? Yes, we do, but we don't need to be. He's told us what we need. So today's passage, Jesus is going to give us an explanation of a particular time segment in the future. It's a term that we use. We call it the Great Tribulation. Um, the point in history 
when, to be very candid, the Jewish people are going to be broken from their unbelief. That is the primary emphasis behind the Great Tribulation. The Jewish people, God's people, will be broken. But in conjunction with that, the world is also going to be judged because of sin. Now, let me give you a little bit of background before we move ahead, all right? Just after Thanksgiving, we took a brief look at some verses that helped preempt this, to get us ready for this. And Jesus said at the end of verse 23, he said he wanted to gather the nation of Israel together. Uh, yeah, at the end of chapter 23, in verse 37, he wanted to gather his people, the nation of Israel, together, but he says they wouldn't do it. They would not be gathered. So as a result, what he was going to do is he was going to depart. Just like in the book of Ezekiel of old, when the glory of God would rise up and was going to leave, go east and not come back until later, until Israel was ready, Jesus is going to depart, he said. And then he wasn't going to come back until they are ready to submit to their king. That will be the return point. So, in 24 verse 1, the disciples are walking around, as some of you might recall, and they're looking at all that's around them. They're looking at this incredible temple that Herod has helped the Israelites rebuild or the Jews to rebuild. And it's, this has been a massive project that he's been undertaking. It took 46 years to build this thing up and to make it as magnificent and as opulent as it was. And yet the disciples, as they're going around, and they're just kind of, wow, check this out. This is incredible. This is amazing. Jesus sort of interrupts this thought, and he goes to him, and he says, really? You think this is great? All of it is coming down, every bit of it. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus just said a few verses before he's going to depart, and now he's speaking to them and telling them about the temple and that it's coming down, um, they've got some questions. And the questions we saw uh, about a month ago in the passage before, when they're asking, when is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of your coming back? And implied behind all this, Jesus is letting them know, how then should you live in light of this information and these truths? Now, Matthew will define Jesus' return as the end of the age. So if I can kind of line things up here as a timeline, it's, it's fairly small. I apologize for those of you in the back. But to the left of the cross that I have up there, we're calling this the age of law. When, when the Israelites, when people lived under the law. And Jesus came and lived under the law, and then he fulfilled it. And then when he went to the cross, that began to bring on a new era. It's an era that's called this age. This is the one that the Jew, he's referring to when he's speaking to the Jews. This age. And it continues all the way up until the Messiah returns and comes back among his people. Now, here's something Jesus doesn't talk about. He doesn't talk about the rapture. The rapture, the time when Jesus will call up his church and his church will leave the planet and go to be with him. Jesus doesn't go into this. It's a mystery from the Old Testament, and the New Testament will go on further to explain that a little bit more. So there's a point in time in which the church will go up and not be here any longer, and Jesus does not go into that right now. What he's talking to, or who he's talking to, are his disciples who, at this moment, are all Jews. And so for a Jew... They're looking forward to an age to come, marked by the return of Jesus. So from Jesus until the signs of the coming, though, that is the present age. So their question, he answers, when's this going to happen? What does he say? Don't worry about it. You don't need to know. It's not for you to know. How about the signs? Jesus says, now that I can speak to. 
That I'm going to dial you in on. And in the process, he also lets them know, and don't anticipate it too quickly. It's going to come, but don't anticipate it too quickly. And so I showed you about a month ago sort of an outline of how this thing works out. In verses 4 through 14 of Matthew 24, you get an overview of the end times, kind of just a broad brush stroke. And then you get to this midpoint. He comes back and he re-explains some things, and he starts at the midpoint of what we call the tribulation or the great tribulation. This point I'm addressing that Jesus is addressing in which the Jews will be broken. Um, and then he culminates, he comes back yet one more time, and he speaks just a little bit about his return. And it's a very Jewish way of doing things. Go broad brush, then go back and talk about a little bit of it, then go back and talk about the end point, or the significant part at the end. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this passage, but I'm going to throw you a curveball. We're going to look at it in reverse. Okay, what I want to do is I want to start with you at the return of Christ. There in verse 29. So with your Bibles, verse 24, verse 29, it's a long passage. We weren't going to stand up and read it through. I'm just going to go through it with you and do some explanation as we go. Are you hanging with me? All right. Oh, everybody had their cup of coffee. They're alert and they're ready. Awesome. 24, 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days... So again, Jesus is speaking about this point in time, immediately after the tribulation. Not the rapture, when the church goes up. The tribulation. After the tribulation, then what happens? He says this, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the son of man, of the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. So you've got these cataclysmic, lunar, astronomical events that are going to occur at that point in time. And these are the visible, physical signs that it's about to happen. And he says, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Boy, isn't that going to be a sight for the world to behold. But after these signs, Jesus is coming. Verse 31 and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds and from one end of the sky to the other. Now, it's interesting that what the emphasis is in this part of the passage, what Jesus is addressing. He's speaking about, and he uses the term, his elect, his chosen ones during the tribulation period. Because remember, as the church, we don't understand ourselves to be here at this time. We'll be taken away at the beginning. Then this begins to occur, and people will still be coming to faith. Jews will be coming to faith. They'll recognize Jesus as the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn, and then they will turn unto him. But there'll be many people who aren't Jews who will be doing the same thing. But when we find these people that have endured the tribulation and have become saved, well, and they've endured it, that's going to be a great and marvelous thing that happens during the tribulation. But at the same time, there's going to be the nations that will be mourning, and there'll be judgment. But the emphasis that we see here in verses 29, 30, 31, the emphasis is about salvation. That's what he's highlighting in this last portion. There will be those who are saved. Then he takes a step back. He goes a little bit broader, and he steps and enters into what I've called the midpoint of the tribulation, marked by what he highlights in verse 15. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now, what does he mean when he say, let the reader understand? It means go look it up. 
You got the book of Daniel, pull that thing out, go back, look, and read and determine what it says. And in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27, he speaks of what we call 70 weeks of years. And here he's speaking about the final week, that last 70 of years. And he says in it, there's two parts. There's a first half and there's a second half. And what marks the two halves? It comes down to the abomination of desolation. And some other passages you can look up on your own to study, Daniel 2, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 12, Revelation chapter 13, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, in the days before Jesus, I want want to just talk about this abomination of desolation for a minute, all right? In the days before Jesus, there was a fellow, Roman general, his name was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he came into the tabernacle and he desecrated it, wound up killing pigs, took their uh, blood, smeared it in the tabernacle, and it was the whole point was to, um, well, to desolate it and to desecrate it. And that's exactly what he did in his time. That happened about 156 B.C., before Christ. Now, Jesus isn't talking about that. He's looking ahead. He's talking about somebody else other than Antiochus. His name we call the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will come. He'll make a covenant with Israel. And in doing so, he's then going to betray them. And in that part of that betrayal, he sets himself up as a false Messiah, set up in the temple, but then he brings in the abomination of desolation, and that is what he will call the Jew to worship. And with the temple desecrated, we find this intense persecution of the Jews. Again, what we find, I gave you this chart about a month ago. Jesus, we can talk about a near-term fulfillment and a long-term fulfillment. And he says, when Daniel was speaking about this, there was a near-term fulfillment. That was Antiochus. But I'm talking about something that's going to happen a whole lot further out. And so with that temple desecrated and the persecution of the Jews, verse 16, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And whoever is on the housetop mustn't go down to get the things out that are in his house. Whoever's in the field mustn't turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Is it tough to be pregnant and be on the run? All the pregnant ladies said, amen. And to be nursing in a time like that. Jesus highlights this. That's how tough this is going to be. Verse 20, pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now that verse 20 is important. Pray that it won't be on a Sabbath. Who is concerned about the Sabbath? The Jew. Jesus is speaking to the Jews in particular here. They're the emphasis. The persecution isn't talking about the church right now. Not in this emphasis. It's towards the Jew. In verse 21, for then there'll be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And when you take this passage and you overlay it with the book of Revelation, folks, this is going to be the worst time in human history. That tribulation period. Unbelievable amounts of carnage, suffering, and death. In fact, Revelation highlights that there's one episode in particular that will occur. A third of the population will be wiped out. And then later, another event happens, and a fourth of the population is wiped out. Do the math. Runs about half the world. Now, last time I checked, I think we're about 8 billion people in the world right now. And what this is highlighting is you're going to see 4 billion people lose their lives and die. That is sobering. That is a big deal. Do you think it's going to have the attention of the entire world as these events unfold? 
you better believe it. You thought the last week, you thought the last month, you thought 2020 was something. It's got nothing on what's going to be the, these people in this time are going to be facing. And remember something. Why is Jesus telling us this? He's not worried about the date. He's saying to everybody, all his disciples, be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Verse 22, unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. The point being, the elect can't be misled, but this thing is going to be so deceptive that unless God would intervene, anybody in and of their own strength certainly would be deceived. But God takes care of his own. Verse 25, behold, I've told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe him. If they say, behold, he's in a mountain in Montana, don't go out there. Verse 27, now we get into the return of Jesus, the Messiah King. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So we're talking about this time period. What's the emphasis that Jesus highlights here? If his return, he was putting on the emphasis on salvation for people, here he's talking about judgment. And there is a judgment that happens on the world in this time. And it correlates with Revelation chapter 19, when you talk about the great bird supper, in which they, they come to feed upon all the death and all the carnage. Now, this, I don't know about you, I remember back in COVID, 2020, and in South America, you remember they had that incident in which all these people were dying, but they didn't really know what to do with the bodies. So they took them and they wrapped them in saran wrap because they didn't know what they were dealing with. And then they put the bodies out in the streets. And as we're looking at that, all of us were thinking, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Because you think of all the, the problems and the disease that you're going to bring by putting the bodies out into the streets. And then I got to thinking, what happens if, when this happens in India? Well, you talk about a very high, dense population. What is going to happen? Now we go beyond just the, the disease itself that takes a life, but now you get into all the other factors that go into this. It is not that hard to see how something like this would happen. And so Jesus is highlighting it's going to be rough. It is going to be rough for the people in this age. And the Jewish persecution is going to be off the charts. I do not say this to mock the Holocaust, but that will be nothing compared to what we're talking about here. False prophets, false messiahs will constantly be popping up saying, here I am, follow me, follow me. And Jesus says, be glad it's short, but be reminded, you don't know the day and you don't know the hour. Well, now let's back up in Matthew. Let's go all the way back to verse 4. And look at this, to seek sort of the grand overview. Because again, this is immediately after the disciples have just asked, okay, when and what? When is this going to happen? What can we expect? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, now see to it that nobody misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and will mislead many. And you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened. For these things must take place, and that is not yet the end. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there'll be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginnings of birth pangs. 
So again, four through eight, you got all these things that are happening, right? And just, okay, here's how the ramp up starts to occur. And uh, those of you ladies that have been through pregnancy, you know, the birth pangs, they start out, they're far apart. And then the closer you get to the delivery date, they start moving closer together and they start increasing in intensity. And Jesus says that is one of the signs that they're to continue to look for in this era of the tribulation. And then look at the timetable Jesus gives. Verse 9, he says, then. Verse 15, he says, when. And then verse 29, after these things. So you see this progression that he's making. There, there's going to be a growing intensity. Verse 9, then they'll deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will betray one another, hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, what's he talking about there, the one who endures to the end? Does he mean they'll be saved in their life? Well, obviously, that's not the case. Because Jesus talks about the vast number of people that will die. He has two witnesses in particular that he will appoint to a mission. And both of those will die. So saved in that time doesn't mean that their life necessarily will be preserved. It is addressing, however, their souls. That they themselves will be kept unto him. Jesus says, no one can take them out of my hand. So death, it'll just be a movement from this earth into the presence of Christ. But it doesn't necessarily mean their physical life will be preserved. Verse 14, he says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, in church, I think a lot of times we take that verse and we quote it in light of the rapture, that Jesus won't call the church up until all this has happened. I, I don't think that's the case. When I look at this in its context, I think this is addressing at the end of the tribulation. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because it's going to be at that time, at the end of the tribulation, four billion people having died. Do you think there's a little bit of an increased sensitivity as to what's going on? I was just in the perspectives class downstairs. The class got asked the question, what is God doing? You think people will be asking that question? If they don't know God, they'll be asking it then. And so that, that's sort of Jesus' timeline. That's where he's gone. So quick review. Again, Jesus says, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back until the nation is broken and they're ready to bend the knee and acknowledge who I am. In the meantime, there's a great tribulation and it's meant to break Israel and there's going to bring, it's going to bring great judgment on the world. So the point, if you want to boil it all down to one essential point, Jesus is saying, be ready. History is going to a point. Be ready. Be prepared. Now here's the question, most of you, if you don't haven't asked this, you should be. Jack, wait a minute. You just said, based on the interpretation of Scripture, that the church is raptured and we don't go through any of this. Is that right? And my understanding is that's right. Well, if that's the case, then why are we studying this? <laughs> why are we talking this? I mean, it kind of feels a little bit like reading somebody else's mail. Yeah, I'm sure it has an impact on somebody, but not so much on me. Well, according to John 14, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 3.10, again, I do not understand us, I do not interpret us, and our church has taken the stance that we are, we're going to be here when this occurs. Being much like Noah, right before the flood, what does God do? He takes his righteous one out, and then he brings judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah, what does he do? He takes righteous Lot out, 
And then he brings the judgment. And for us, the judgment has happened on the cross. We've allowed a substitute to come in to take our judgment so we don't have to necessarily undergo this kind of a judgment. This is for the Jew. This is for the world. So what in the world do we do with it? Well, two things. First, we need a purpose to know this and know what God has told us about the future for this so that you and I will not live in fear. We are not to live in fear. Now, I know I've said this little joke before, you know, that uh, you're, are you pre-millennial, are you post-millennial, and you're viewing all this kind of stuff, and it's like, well, I'm a pan-millennial because I just believe it's all going to pan out in the end, right? Well, Jesus gave very clear teaching here, very clear. And he didn't say, and I'm telling you this, but don't really worry about it. You don't need to think about it. Don't, don't, don't concern yourself with it, you know, because it'll all pan out in the end. That's not his approach on this. Instead, he said, I want you to know this. I want you to study it. I want you to consider it. And I want you to be ready. God has specific details. And so as everyone is moving towards that point, you need to know what's your place in that plan. What would he have you to do? And while you're going there, don't you be afraid. Because we just read there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff that happens. And if you've lived five and a half decades like I have, you already go, the world's already nuts. There's already so much crazy stuff. Now, when it comes to this, Christians, how have we done historically when these kinds of things start to arise and we start asking the question? I mean, we got a lot of failures, don't we? How many of you old enough remember Y2K? Okay, we went a little nuts back then. I'm not mocking being prepared for things. I'm just talking about how we kind of went off the deep end on some things and interpreting and, and you know, saying all kinds of stuff that was going to happen. And then we did it again with COVID. Again, there, I'm not mocking the disease. There's a real illness, and it really did take lives. And there was a place for being prepared. Um, but there was another aspect of all this where we just kind of went a little bit nuts and went a little bit crazy. Um, we can take events so easily, can't we, and start reading things into them. Oh, that's the mark of the beast. Oh, that's 666. Oh, that's where that's going to happen. This is, and why? Because we're listening to podcasts, and we're going on Facebook, and we're seeing all this stuff on social media, and we're getting all these people. We're letting them get us all riled up so that we then, not to operate in prudence, but operate in fear. And that is what we're not called to do. We're spending all this time over there. Why don't we put that time diligently to study the word and the plan of God so that we know what he's saying, and then we're prepared to move and operate based on that. Now, I don't want to mock anybody here, but I don't care whether or not you want to get a vaccine. You want to do that? That's great, and I'll support you. You don't want to do that? That's great, and I'll support you. Don't go calling it the mark of the beast. Don't do it because it's not. Because you go back to your study of the scriptures, the mark of the beast doesn't happen until after the rapture. You as a Christian, that's not going to be your hurdle. That's going to be those people's hurdle in that time. For us, here's what matters. The rapture, it is going to be a total surprise. Out of the blue, nobody will see it coming. You will not be aware. And bam, it happens overnight. This tribulation period that Jesus is describing is going to be for the Jew. And it's going to be for the unbelieving world. And it is a judgment against those who will not recognize and who will not honor Jesus Christ as their king. And during that period, there's an awareness. And he's saving some, 
and he's drawing his elect unto him, and he's bringing them unto faith, and that's a great and that's a wonderful thing. But in the meantime, even in that day, their call, don't live in fear. Don't you do it. Now, that's one application, all right? But let me give you one other application that I think that we can take out of this as we read it. There was a Roman orator, his name was Cicero, who once said this, it is impossible to know the truth and not be responsible. You and I have been given the truth of the gospel. We've been given the truth of the word. We've been given the truth of history, past but also future, of where God's going and what he's doing. And that means we have the responsibility to speak out, to let others know what we know. They may not agree with us. They may not like it. That's okay. The responsibility is to let them know and to tell them. And what if the rapture happened in our generation? What if people all of a sudden became aware that, oh my goodness, this huge segment of people just left? What does that mean for us? There's folks that are going to be looking around. And that means that this is knowing this information. It's meant to affect how you and I live today because of the impact that we will have on the generation, potentially, that would enter into this. So there's a question. If, if you got raptured, here's my first one, would any non-Christian even notice? Would they know? Would you even be missed? It's a reminder to me, I got to be in people's lives, not merely the church. I got to be in non-Christians' lives, not only for the sake of the gospel, but to let them know of the grand plan of God in that timetable. And our present presence is felt. We want our absence to be noticed. We do. And the reason is because when they encounter us, they are in, they're getting a brush with the Holy Spirit of God. They're getting a sense of who Jesus is because they encountered you. His Spirit is in us. And they will feel his presence through us if we're engaging our lives with them. But I don't want to take away, we also have to speak the truth of the gospel, the truth in the people's lives. And that is going to leave them something, if it's our generation that goes, it leaves them something to remember and to go with. So at some point, there's going to be a generation in the world, right? And they're going to be blowing off the folks that are telling them the gospel, they're going to be blowing off the truth, and then the tribulation's going to begin. And then they're going to go, oh yeah, you know, I remember Doug. Doug here, he, he talked a little bit about something about this. And then it begins to whet their appetite. It's almost like a post-evangelism that happens based on the rejection that they had before. Your life will still speak. Now, I heard a preacher once say, he said, I believe that Jesus' return is imminent, just not in my lifetime. And um, there's part of that I like. And the reason I like it is this. It's that healthy balance of remembering it could happen at any moment. We got to be ready. But there's another component of that that says, but you know what? I need to be thinking two and three generations down the line, too. How am I preparing them? How am I instructing them? How am I teaching them, the generations behind me? Jesus' disciples did not go through the tribulation that we see described up here. They didn't. God used them to continue to further the information and tell us more. He described them here, and he prepared them, and he prepares us, though, to be able to continue to prepare others, to be ready. Let's not go about living deceived. 
Let's not go about becoming disqualified because of sin. Let's not go about getting distracted with all the noise that goes on in our lives and around us. Let's not be divisive and to fracture the message. Let's not live in a discouraged way. Let's not live dangerously in the sense of living by fear. No, or lack of depth. Instead, let's be a people who live determined, very determined, devoted, dependable, as we continue to make disciples who will know him, such that when he returns, they'll be ready. They'll be ready through the rapture, and then there's another group of folks afterwards who can be able to remember and to know him. I want to do something with you to wrap this up. I'm going to give you all a verse that we are going to memorize together for the month of January. And it takes what we're talking about here. It takes the other aspects of the future that we'll look at in the coming weeks, and it brings it all to a head, an easy memory verse for us. And that is, I want us all to work together as we memorize 2 Peter 2, verse 9. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. We memorize this together because we're reminded Jesus has got us. You don't have to live and be afraid. He's got you. And he will see you through any trial, any temptation, all these things. He will see you through. But it's also a reminder that when we see evil unchecked, it seems like, when we see the bad guys winning, when we see hard and difficult things that are occurring, things of injustice that are, are happening, we can remember God has it. I don't know why he's allowing it right now, but he's got it, and he's trustworthy, and we can trust him. So what do we do? Don't freak out. <laughs> you just be faithful. 